Okay, we're going to get right to it. Uh, we're in the uh, book of Acts. Uh, we've been going, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, how much we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4. We're actually going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to just break it down a little bit. But this is just a little background for those of you that are not real familiar. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. He has been uh, you know, dead on the cross, placed in the tomb. Uh, he has been resurrected from the, the grave, appeared to over 500 people, told the disciples to go to uh, Jerusalem and wait until they received power from on high, which was the power of the Holy Spirit, um, to give them the power to be good witnesses, witnesses of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And uh, it happens in, uh, in Acts chapter 3 that uh, Peter and uh, James and uh, John were on their way to the uh, temple, and uh, they had uh, healed. They were on their way to the temple at an hour of prayer, and there was a, uh, a lame man that had been healed by them. And we pick up in chapter 4, it says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming uh, that Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. Now, you've got to get this because if you, this won't make a whole lot of sense unless you do get it. There were two groups of religious leaders, what we would call, uh, we might call them Republicans and Democrats today. We might call them conservatives and liberals back in that day. But the Pharisees were more of a conservative group. And the Sadducees were more of a liberal group. And we understand that Jesus said that the Sadducees, uh, that they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in spirits or angels. And so they just thought when you, when you died, you died, just like many people think today. But on the council, on what, we call the, the, what was called the Sanhedrin Council, made up of about 70 people, 70 men, and they were made up of both Sadducees and Pharisees. And um, so it was kind of like their court. Even though that uh, the Jews were under the Roman government, they still were allowed to have their own government within the government, their Jewish government. And that Jewish government was made up of these 70 men. And uh, so the Sadducees, uh, those that didn't believe in the resurrection, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming, all right, listen to what they are proclaiming. They are proclaiming the resurrection of the dead to a group of men that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I want you to notice this, if you've never read this carefully before, it's almost like Peter has got the knife in and he's giving it a little bit of a twist, uh, you know, as he's speaking to these guys. He says, uh, they seized Peter and John because it was evening. Uh, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Remember a couple of chapters ago, we read that there was about 3,000 that believed. And now we've got another 5,000. Typically, they counted men, so you would add women and children to that. It says uh, that uh, the number had grown to about 5,000, and the next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
And Annas the high priest was there with Caiaphas. Remember it was Caiaphas that said he had that prophetic word that it was better that one man die for the nation rather than the whole nation die for one man. It was Caiaphas and John and Alexander and others of the high priest family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them by what power. Remember we said that word last week was dunamis. It's a word that we receive that translates uh, the Greek word that translates to dynamite. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter being filled, and this is what we're talking about. Where did Peter get this boldness? Peter, this is the same Peter that was denying that he knew Jesus, you know, that uh, making all kind of mistakes uh, in his walk with Jesus. But Peter's got this new boldness, and this new boldness comes to him as we read from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Jesus said, wait until you go to Jerusalem, and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you will be witnesses for me. And so all of a sudden, Peter finds himself being a witness for Jesus. And Peter standing there, you can imagine, it's Peter and John, and then also the crippled man is there as well, the three of them. And the the 70 men are sitting kind of like in a, a semicircle, half circle, looking at them. And typically what they would do is... Uh, They would strip you down and they would put old clothes on you and usually you wouldn't have sandals for your feet and it was typically you were forbidden as you stood before the council, you were not supposed to lift your head and look them in the eye. But it says that Peter that was filled with the Holy Spirit and I believe he's looking them eye to eye, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man that was lame and being asked how he was healed, then this you need to know. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but listen, but whom God raised from the dead, Sadducees, Sadducees, Remember, God raised him from the dead. Those of you that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected. That's from one of the Psalms, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. And I want you to just ponder that just for a moment in your own life. You know, are you trying to obtain salvation from anything else in life by being good, by praying, by reading your Bible? All of those things are good, but salvation is found in nothing else except in the blood of Jesus. Remember that old hymn, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when they say nothing, they mean nothing. Their salvation is found in no one else or nothing else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they, talking about the council, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, that's the kind of people that God's looking for, that's why I'm standing here today, unschooled and most unordinary. And they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And would people be able to tell that you've been with Jesus in the workplace and in the marketplace? 
That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to radiate that we have been and we are with Jesus. But since they could see that this man who had been healed, they're standing there with them, and there was nothing that they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they ask. Everyone living in Jerusalem, listen, the word is out now. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign or a miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this, them from spreading this any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter, here we go again, this boldness in Peter. And Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? Which is better? Is it better for me to obey God or to obey you? Uh, you be the judge, for we cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people that were praising God for what had just happened, for the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. He had been lying there for 40 years at that temple waiting for a healing. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported to the all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them, and you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why the, do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? This is written seven, several hundred years, maybe a thousand, twelve hundred years before uh, Jesus was even, you know, born. Why do the nations rage and why do the people plot vain? And the kings of the earth, that would have been Pilate and uh, Herod, the kings of the earth rise up with the rulers. I was talking about those 70 men together. And it says they, they band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided. God had planned this before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, that God had planned that his son would die. The lamb, the, remember the revelation that says, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It said they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled. That means not going back to chapter 2 where they were filled, or chapter 3 where they were filled. This is a new chapter. And they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. If you've ever been timid about sharing your faith or sharing your testimony with anyone, I want you to know that there's a boldness and there's a power that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us need to be filled. That's why Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the power that will come on high come from on high. Not only does he give us the power to overcome sin and obstacles in our life, yes, we all struggle. There are no perfect people in this place. There are no sinless people in this place. 
the Bible says, all of we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. The Bible says, all we have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's why we're here today. We're here today because we need a Savior. We're here today because God sent a Savior. We're here today because we have accepted that Savior and the work on Calvary's cross. And the very fact that you're here today, the very fact that you're here this morning tells me that God, maybe you didn't want to come. You don't even know why you're here today. Maybe someone had to drag you into this place. But you showed up, and the fact that you're here tells me that God is working in your life today. God is at work in your life today. All right, I want to point out just a couple of things that, I, that, that jumped out to me in this passage of Scripture, and then we'll wrap this up. It's been a long morning. And by the way, I want to just, I really want to thank you. You know, I mean, we do, and I do sometimes some things that are totally off the wall, but I just thank you for bearing with me, you know, because sometimes I, I just feel like, you know, God wants to do something special in your life. And you know what? I, I've seen what God has done in my life and what he's doing in my life, but I'm more excited about seeing what God's doing in your life. I want to see God move in great and mighty ways in your life. I want to see him break the power of sin in your life, bring healing to your life, healing to your marriages. I want to see God, I want God to show up. I mean, the Bible is all about God showing up. I mean, when Moses got to the Red Sea, God showed up. When the, Joshua was walking around the children of the, uh, the walls of Jericho, God showed up. When David went out to face the giant, God showed up. I mean, when the widow of Nain was carrying her, her son to the funeral, to the burial place, to the graveyard, God showed up. And I want to tell you that we serve a resurrected God and Savior, and He will show up in your life as well. God will show up. All right, a couple of things that jumped out to me. Uh, you know, it's always, you hear this question, well, do we obey the laws of the land, or do we obey the laws of God? And uh, Peter, they asked, uh, or Peter answered that question, whether it's better for us to obey you or to obey, you know, a God who has told us to do this, you be the judge. You be the judge of this. And can you imagine this? You know, in Matthew chapter 10, uh, uh, Jesus had already given the disciples a warning. He said, you know, he says, be on your guard because you're going to be handed, handed over to the local council. That's where they were. You're going to be flogged in the synagogue, and on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witness and witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. I'm sure that Peter didn't spend that night in jail thinking about, okay, we're going to be standing before the council tomorrow. What are you going to say? I don't know. What are you going to say? Well, I'm going to say this. They didn't say any of that. They looked at each other and said, you know what? Hey, remember back there in Matthew chapter 10? They probably didn't say that, but they were thinking about that scripture that Jesus said to them. You're going to be brought before the council, and when you're there, don't worry about it. I will give you the right words to say. It says, and when they arrest you, don't worry what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. At, the time, at that time, it will be given to you what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, there was another example in the Old Testament about a king that brought a commandment, an ungodly commandment. You guys will remember this. This is about the three Hebrew children. They were thrown into a furnace because they wouldn't bow down. The king, the law of the land says, you bow down to the golden statue. 
Well, everybody is like, hey, we're on board. What's that going to hurt? But there were three of them that said, you know what? No way. We are not bowing. We're not bowing down to that. We're not bowing down then, and we're not bowing down today. And it says, it picks up, and this is in Daniel chapter 3, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down, it says, so these men were brought before the king, and the king said to them, is it true that you do not serve my God or worship the image of gold that I set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. It'll be good for you. But if you do not fall down and bow down and worship, you're going to be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, then what God will rescue from my hand? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, that God, uh, the God we serve is able. Our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from you, your majesty. He says, but even if he doesn't, what Job say? Remember what Job said? He said a lot. Certainly we can remember something that Job said. But he said this, listen, he said this, he said, though, he's talking about God, he said, though he slay me, if God decides to kill me right now, I'm going to put my trust in him. I won't be moved. I'm not going to be moved. He said, though he slay me, I will, I will put my faith in him. He says, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty. Notice they were kind, they were polite, that we will not serve your God or worship the image. And, you know, in Romans chapter 13, I mean, this is kind of like a contradictory scripture right here. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority that exists, let's talk about the government and, you know, our, 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 our national government, our state and local government. It says, all the authority that exists, exists because it's been established by God. Consequently, whosoever rebels against that authority is also rebelling against what God has instituted, and those that do so will bring judgment on themselves. Well, the bottom line is this. You obey your government, and to your government tells you to disobey God. And that's where you draw the line. All right, the second thing that I noticed in this was that continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Peter was filled. Again, in Acts chapter 2, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, has this boldness, this incredible boldness. And then we read again in verse 29, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. Is this how you and I would pray? I hope so. He says, after they had been threatened, after they had been threatened with prison and jail and to be beaten, they go back to their home and they begin to pray. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders uh, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled again with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All right, I want to move forward. I'm going to move to point number three. Uh, speak the word with boldness. And again, notice what they said. After they prayed, the place where they were shaken uh, and where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word with boldness. If you want to speak the word with boldness, 
If you want to see God move in a great and mighty way in your life, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, the next thing that I noticed and final thing that I noticed in this passage of Scripture, but they were, they were persistent. Notice it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at a time of prayer. It was at three in the afternoon. And as I begin to read this, and we're just, we're being honest, right? We're being honest this morning, right? This is church, so we've got to be honest. All right. So it says that they were going up to the temple at a time of prayer. That you know that the Jews had this time of prayer. They had a six o'clock time of prayer. They had a three o'clock time of prayer in the afternoon. And they had an evening prayer at sunset. And as I began to read that and think about that, I began to compare my prayer life with their prayer life. And if you're being honest this morning like I am being honest with you, I got to say, there's been a lot of nine o'clock in the mornings that have gone past, a lot of noondays that have gone past, a lot of three o'clock in the afternoons that have gone past, a lot of evenings that have gone past, that I've just been busy with my day. I got caught up in my day. I got caught up with life. I got caught up with finances. I got caught up with business. I got caught up with family. got caught up with problems that had to be solved. And I kept saying, I'll get back to you, God. I'll get back to you later. Are we being honest? Are we being honest? But see, that's not the kind of person that I want to be. And I want God to change my prayer life. And I want God to change your prayer life as well. Because when we look at this passage of Scripture, we look at great things. And every one of these, you go through the book of Acts, and, and the book of Acts is just filled with miracle after miracle after miracle. But one thing stands out in all of these miracles, is that a lot of times the disciples or the apostles were on their way to a place of, and a time of prayer. God changed our hearts. Listen to what David said in Psalm chapter 55. He says, I will call on the Lord to save me, and he will. Calling on the Lord is the same thing as praying to the Lord. I will pray, this is what David says, morning, noon, and night, three times a day he talks about praying and pleading aloud with God, and he will hear and answer. And though, listen, things may look bleak in your life right now, it says, though the tide of battle runs strongly against me. Remember what we read last week about Jacob? It said, when Jacob said, everything is against me. Everything is against me. Everything. And you can think about that this morning in your life. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your children. It could be with your finances. It could be with your health. I mean, you can just look at that. You can look at the government. You can look at the mess that our nation is in right now. Look at the mess that your life is in right now or my life is in right now. And we could say everything is against me. We could even say, we could say the same prayer. Though the tide of battle runs strongly against me, for so many are fighting me, yet he will rescue me. God himself, he's not going to send somebody. It's not like he's too busy sitting on the throne running the universe. It said God himself, God from everlasting ages past, will answer them. He will answer my prayer. Guys, underline that. Mark it. Put it on your refrigerator. Get it out and read it from time to time. In Daniel chapter 6, this is the last scripture I'll read. There was a law that was given... 
through the Medes and through the Persians, and once it was written, it had to be satisfied, it couldn't be broken. And the law was for 30 days, no one can pray to anyone except for the king. And when Daniel heard that law, and he knew about it, he knew that it had been passed, he knew that it might cost him his life. In chapter 6 of Daniel, it says, but though Daniel knew about the law, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs bedroom with its windows opened toward Jerusalem. How easy it would have been to close the window so no one could see him. Now we just draw the shade a little bit. A little drafty in here anyway, right? With the window open toward Jerusalem, Daniel prayed three times a day, just as he always had, giving thanks to his God. Giving thanks to his God.